Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and it is always a pleasure to welcome you back to yet another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we discuss topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and hopefully need. And before we get into it, I just want to drop a little plug for the 2021 IT Blog Boards hosted by Cisco. Folks, if you own a technology blog, vlog, or podcast, I encourage you to submit it into this year's competition for a chance to not only gain the glory, but also for a chance to win an awesome prize. All right, back to our regular programming. Today, we are talking about Cisco SD-WAN and SASE, and in particular, we are going to discuss how Cisco SD-WAN can help you accelerate your transition to a SASE architecture in a secure and agile manner. To help us guide the conversation, we have a phenomenal cast here with us today, and as usual, we are going to start with introductions. All right, let's start with our Cisco guests. Steve, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us more about yourself and your role here at Cisco? Sure, sounds good. I'm a, I'm a 24-year veteran of Cisco, actually. I've been here for quite a while. I'm actually a principal engineer in the enterprise networking cloud team, uh, and my primary responsibilities are for product and solution architecture for our SD-WAN cloud and security products. Wow, 24 years. That's a long time. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive. Darren, you're up next. Can you introduce yourself and your role here at Cisco? Sure. My name is Darren Miller. I'm a distinguished engineer. I'm primarily focused on security and security architecture. I also work in the enterprise networking group, but I primarily work on cross-business unit integrations uh, within Cisco and then also partner and even in some instances um, co-opetition integrations where the customer needs an outcome because security is such a, you know, tiered, you know, discipline. There, everybody has one of everything, generally. So we always have to work in a simple and open, op- automated way. And you've been here twenty-four years in one month. No, I, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I have not been at Cisco as long as uh, Steve. I've been at Cisco for twenty-two years. Oh, oh my gosh. Almost <laughs> just as long. <laughs> All right. Now on to our beloved Cisco champion host, Dan. Who are you? What do you do? I am Dan Kelcher. I am an enterprise network and cybersecurity solution architect with Meridian IT. So basically going through figuring out what, what customers need and what, what we need to do to get them there. Awesome. Gerard, tell us about yourself. Absolutely. So my name is Gerard Cavallinas. I am a dedicated listener. I've been since day one, and now I'm a first-time co-host, so this is exciting. I am an IT specialist for a healthcare organization. I will be getting a new role on Monday as a managed services systems engineer. Uh, you could find me on the interwebs at G Cavallinas. I am the founder of Tech House 570. Always here to help anyone. Congratulations on the new role. Thank you very much. Mark, my friend, last but definitely not least, what do you do? My name is Mark Lüscher. I'm part of the Network Security as Medical Care, a worldwide company with 320,000 employees in 150 countries. My day-to-day work is network security, email security, SASE, VPN, WAF, whatever. Security. Security. Steve, before Mark kicks us off, uh, kicks off the discussion, is there any context or background that you can share with us? Absolutely. So I think today what we want to discuss here and have a robust discussion about is, a, look, let's take a look at SD-WAN 
security and the evolution to cloud, how that's coming together to form SASE and how that's going to impact net, the, the new network as we move forward. And hopefully we might even find out what SASE means to people. That would be interesting. Yeah. From my perspective as a security architect, you know, I've found that SASE has different definitions as the market has adopted the term. And depending on what lens you you start with, you know, I start with security. So I've used SASE primarily from what security functions are we trying to get into a secure edge, whereas Steve, my colleague, comes at it from a much different angle. So I'm very interested not only to talk with Steve about those different perspectives, but, you know, our, our Cisco champions as well. Okay, let's get the discussion started, because I think the best is to write, trying to understand what Cisco means by SASE. So I want to give you three scenarios, and you can pretty much outline your understanding of how a Cisco SASE solution would apply to them. Scenario number one would be our remote workers. With COVID-19, uh, more and more workers had to shift to work from home. So it's definitely a case where you had to be very fast, where you had to react very fast as a company, but you still had to be very secure. So that would be my first case where I would like to understand what Cisco is planning in that direction. My second case is pretty much uh, we have a lot of branch offices and clinics throughout the world and even in North America. SASE usually also applies to old MPLS connections and whatever you can do in that area now. So I would like to understand what the plan is in that direction. And the third one is we have the large corporate offices and data centers where we have all the gear which is coming in, even that sometimes can have a certain role in SASE. So those are my three questions or use cases. Now it's up to you to tell us what you think. No pressure. No pressure at all. I'll, I'll take the, the remote access, uh, you know, for sure. So, you know, to your point, you know, we had the, what I call a flag day where the flag went up and everybody has to work from home. And depending upon what the current strategy was, as well as, you know, what they had in place, different customers addressed that slightly differently. So as an example, you know, we had to build out capacity at Cisco for our own internal systems so that, you know, we had more capacity. Um, normally, we saw about 30% of workers working remotely, and that went to 100%. And so we had to build out capacity. And so from that, you know, other corporations had other managed services that were from a SASE vendor and they just added capacity to those SASE vendors and it worked out very well for them. And so we were asked um, to build out that managed remote access VPN into the SASE um, as a part of the overall offer. So Cisco has introduced what we call Cisco Secure Managed Remote Access and it is basically managed remote access VPN that has connections to our secure internet gateway, which is Umbrella, and it offers, you know, the different services that Umbrella offers with, you know, DNS layer security, web proxy security, as well as, you know, cloud-delivered firewall, but it also builds on a backhaul to the enterprise. So to your last scenario that you talked about, um, there's still a place in a 
need for having a consistent architecture across access methods. So one of the big things that we've been working on at Cisco is giving a consistent experience for not only the user, but the policy that gets instantiated for the users across, you know, different access methods, you know, wired, wireless, VPN, or a, a, a proxy delivered service. So those are the things that we're focusing on from a security perspective. Now, from the connectivity side, you know, I'll defer to, to Steve on what we're, we've been doing there, but we have been moving forward with how to improve connectivity, not only to Cisco's SASE offer, security SASE offer, but also the connectivity to, to competitive offers. Yeah. And then, so what I would say is the, you know, to add on to that is, um, so we've kind of look at the network problem that you discussed there a minute ago in two different, two different ways, right? So when you're on an uncontrolled network, when you're on a controlled network. So if we're on a controlled network or you want to be on a controlled network, we've, you know, added a number of capabilities into our SD-WAN solution. One's called SD-WAN Remote Access, which allows you to do remote access VPN into an SD-WAN head and box. Or we've also added, um, you know, the capability to off to basically take traffic out to, you know, umbrella if you want to use cloud security for enforcement from directly from the SD-WAN, uh, you know, uh, router itself. So we've tried to kind of bring some of that network and uh, centralized security together. We have a common policy, uh, you know, uh, a place for policy, right? Um, so, in, you know, if I look at it, I'm thinking, you know, you know, there's going to be one way of doing things. So Darren and I have had this discussion, right? There's two things going on, right? One is the idea of stack or stack abstraction. And this is, you know, where cloud security comes in, where I'm basically saying, hey, there's a big firewall in the sky and I'm going to, you know, take your networking and just squish it in like a line card in my big security firewall. So that's going to be one, I I feel like it's going to be one vertical, right? That people might, that people could adopt. The other vertical is, hey, I still have a private network. I want to use it for certain security enforcements, but I need that centralized policy control. So Darren and I have talked about separating sort of policy, you know, that tended to be embedded in the vertical, the network, let's say, security policy plus enforcement, stripping that out, making sure we have common context across controlled and uncontrolled networks. So we have all the context we need wherever the user is, and then using the, you know, the security policy engine to basically drop assertions into the private network if needed, as needed, depending on the security operator's desires. Yeah, let me build on what Steve means by context. So we we have a number of uh, ways to derive context. One of them is um, through a base authentication function on an edge, whether that's wired, wireless, or VPN. So we do that through the identity services engine. But then above that, you know, the identity services engine builds um, at the authentication time. But after initial access and initial authorization permissions you can do, you know, there's also agent functions that you can build, you know, using Cisco advanced malware protection, AMP, um, and SecureX so that we can have context, you know, what, you know, is the, who's the user, what the device is, what are, is the runtime state of the device, what's the compliance to, you know, policy, latest AB, all that. And we build that inside of SecureX, and we have something called device investigation that adds to it. All of that is additive to the notion of SASE, and it's an example of where it's not just a product. It's an ecosystem of, you know, different offerings that have to be able to work together in order to you know, create a whole picture. You know, we used to have a luxury of doing that through one place in time, right? You you VPN back to corporate or you were on Wi-Fi. 
And that was the norm, right? Because that's just the home running to the data center. Well, now with hybrid cloud and the, the need for multi-cloud connectivity, we're shifting the, the sort of the optimization of how you connect to be more, you know, locally relevant to those cloud services. And that's one of the opportunities, I think, for the routing components and the routing policies over and above just a security implementation of SASE, right? You know, if you just did security, you're going to home run it back to, you know, some cloud proxy or some cloud delivered firewall. And in the application you might be talking to is in a colo or in a cloud uh, provider right next to you. So how do you optimize, you know, that I'm going from, you know, where I live in Ohio to the US East 2 for Amazon in Ohio? Because there's an app there that I need from from Cisco. How does that optimization get done without me having to backhaul all the way to San Jose? I think that's another aspect of SASE in the routing domain that needs to get done. And that's that's one of the things that I think is is really interesting with this topic. When we look at where we've come with SD WAN over the years, a lot of a lot of companies when they started the SD WAN journey, it was looking at potentially migrating from like dual private circuits to maybe lower cost uh, internet circuits, broadband circuits, and then leveraging SD WAN to to do kind of that intelligent load balancing and and redundancy and all the other benefits that SD WAN got. But really, the basis of it was still creating those tunnels back to the data center headquarters, whatever it might be. But now I think there's a I've, I've run into two environments where, well, we've got Internet circuits coming into these locations. We're using Office 365 or other cloud apps. Why don't we just go directly to that vendor instead of backhauling through a, a data center or something like that? So the, the big thing has started to be that trying to look at distributing that, that security services layer out to those remote sites, get us the the security, the same level of protection that we have on those branches as we're, we're accessing external, kind of external content. So to maybe try and turn that into a question, if we're st- if you've got a client or if you've got somebody that's working, they've got their SD-WAN environment coming up, they, they want to start this SASE deployment. And I think Mark kind of hit this with his scenarios, but what's kind of the, the roadmap? What are some of the things that you would start looking at? Where are the, the kind of the easy wins for lack of a better better description to to take that SD-WAN environment and starting to really build that that secure edge in those remote sites. Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll jump in on that one. So if you think about it, like you know, back in the day when SD-WAN was new and shiny, um, you know, direct internet access was that thing to do for, you know, getting, you know, quicker uh, latency, uh, faster latency and avoiding that home run you're talking about, right? And it took a lot of working and it still does uh, with InfoSec team, Stephen Nabel, uh, direct internet access to the branch. But the trend that's been happening now, <clears throat> and this is something we've, we've, we've basically, uh, you know, basically released in a new set of products just recently, is the movement towards the colo and providing the services at the colo. So right now, for example, I would say if I'm looking at that from a customer perspective, like, hey, yes, I do need, um, you know, lower my latency. I don't want to home run anything. I want my SD-WAN service at the colo as well. And so we have, you know, product now called um, the Interconnect Gateway. Well, which is basically deployed at uh, you know Megaport and uh, Equinix, and you can spool it up, and basically you can drive your traffic in there. Then you can do DIA, and you can add firewall service there, or you can hop to a cloud security service. And ideally, we're hoping that Constellation builds out so that I have SD WAN 
in the same colo as cloud security so that latency is extremely low or at least if i'm going uh, to a cloud security service i'm at least you know speed of light away in terms of uh, you know fiber connection right so that's how i see things rolling out so the security edge is pushing out the sd-wan edge is moving to the colo as well uh, and those things come together and then basically you hit the cloud from there darren do you want to add anything yeah, else to and, that? yeah one of the things that comes up in that is the notion of direct internet access versus security SASE access. But what I mean by that is there are a number of you know applications where they do not want you to go through a secure web proxy or a cloud-delivered firewall because it tends to impact the performance of the application. The most notable one is Office 365. So invariably, you, you have some sort of policy where you want to have local breakout. Now, there's a number of different scenarios where, um, you know, for security reasons, you need to make a policy decision on who actually can get local breakout of Office 365 or some other app versus others. So there have been scenarios where um, embedded devices have been attack vectors and they are wanting to, you know, spread into cloud environments. And so they'll be making requests to connect to some of these cloud environments and then spread laterally there even. And so we found that, you know, in what we're building towards is, you know, policy-based ways to combine the user and device identifiers and trust as a way to do that, that breakout of what gets, you know, handed off locally to Office 365 or what gets backhauled to the SASE. So it's not just about, you know, having an identity derived at a web proxy layer and then or at a VPN layer, and that solves everything in, you know, application experience or security, you need to have layering of how you handle making decisions for what goes into a service or what gets handled directly in the, in the software as a service layer as well. Yeah. And, and just to, just to kind of add on to the, my answer from before as well, the network itself is changing fundamentally, right? So, you know, it was a talk a long time, a while back about, you know, everything's going to go over the internet and, you know, SD-WAN was built to kind of, you know, avoid some of the internet problems, uh, multiple IXP hops, high, late, low, high latency, that kind of thing. That problem is starting to, to go away. And what we find out is that, you know, the cloud providers and SaaS providers are pushing their private bespoke networks out to the colos as well so we're meeting in this middle mile right so you're getting off the internet very quickly actually to be honest to be honest with you for the most part when you're going to cloud or SaaS, and you're probably jumping off at your local isp who's co-located you know at the local data center and that makes a big difference in terms of how we think about latency now as well so latencies are going to you know decrease just because of that that's why I was talking about the colo being kind of a confluence point, right? So we're talking about now, you know, network as a service, this interconnect gateway I mentioned, being able to be spool up and basically be at this confluence point. In the past, the colo network was kind of the, the purview of the larger enterprises. They racked their own gear there. But now we're thinking about, and, and we're, we're thinking about this in terms of network as a service. How do I make that service elastic? How do I then point my branches at it and make that sort of my unified peering point for getting to cloud SaaS and other, and, and other places very fast, right? Yeah. So uh, one of the things I'd be curious about is, you know, how do you, how do you see people getting started? How do you guys as, you know, professionals in the industry see, you know, the evolution of FSD-WAN and, and connectivity to a service, security service evolving? Sure are. Well, I think one of the things that I noticed too, right, like 
like when we were starting to deploy people and send them from home and this was kind of something that i wanted to touch base on there was a lot of challenges we faced because as you said like that flag was raised right so we didn't have an idea like how are we going to deploy x amount of people to go home i think that sd win and sassy like when that solution was implemented it really helped out a lot but that was one of the biggest things i i know is that I kind of wanted to pick your brain if I could, you know, what were some of the challenges that you guys faced and maybe what were some of those challenges? Are you still having them? Like, how did you overcome them? Uh, is that for the Cisco representatives or? Yes. Others? Yes. For the, oh. for the Cisco rep. Well, I mean, for, for my customers that I consult with as well as, you know, internal Cisco IT, it was primarily everybody had a plan for remote access, right? Work from home. Um, but there were typically two, two issues that were, were at hand. One was, you know, capacity. Just how do I take, you know, a cluster, you know, Cisco IT had clusters of ASAs, and how do I add capacity to that? Or how do I add new POPs to get better um, on-ramping into, the, we, we run a colo service for our security stack, get them into the colo, run them through the service to the local breakouts of, of the cloud providers. So that was one issue. And then the bigger issue was how to spin up primary services in the work from home scenario. So what I mean by that is, you know, we have a lot of video conferencing, a lot of people were uh, suddenly, you know, using DX80s or the, the newer video conferencing units on the VPN um, for, because we, we, we have two options, you know, client VPN on a, on a Mac or a Windows box or a, work from home scenario with a Cisco 800 or a Meraki Z series appliance. And, you know, how do we get that capacity on the backhaul handled? And that's where really SDN became out of our colo became really a great addition to the overall solution. And we spun up additional SD-WAN components so that we could offload and make better decisions about traffic either not going into the VPN tunnel at all, so WebEx was, you know, domain exceptions, um, or if it came into the environment, how to get it to the nearest, you know, exit point so that it could get the, the proper application experience. So those were the two big ones from Cisco IT's perspective of, you know, 120,000 people, you know, normally walking into an office to suddenly being on a VPN and optimizing it. And now, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're, quote, unquote, um, using our own service. Uh, we're starting to use Cisco Secure Managed Remote Access as a way to laterally scale. Um, oh, I need a um, pop in Ashburn, Virginia, because there's some, some local, you know, applications that are needed to be accessed for, you know, a particular market. So we'll, we'll augment the list of you know, pops that we have by using our own service. And that service is co-load with Umbrella, so it has very low latency and middle mile optimization that Steve talked about. And to kind of try and, we've got kind of two questions running here, so I'm going to see if I can bridge both of them in one one answer. So one of the problems that I think over the years that I've seen, and the pandemic 
the, this whole process has really just served to highlight a lot of those those issues. So one of the problems that we ran into was, I mean, you, you mentioned just the number of remote connections increasing in the VPN concentrators or head-ins or whatever we want to call them, that there was the load issues there. Some of the other problems that we ran into was, you know, users that had maybe a desktop in the office that now were at home and trying to get uh, get access and Hey, we're we're trying to install VPN clients on people's home machines and really trying to figure out how do we secure their home machine and limit the access because we don't have our full security stack running on their personal gear and trying to toe that line a little bit. So going through that process, there's I mean there was a bunch of different things that went into it. The the rise of using more like VDI or virtual services where instead of a full VPN connection, people were just making like an HTTPS connection. We had situations where for internal employees, the VPN was a, a much more wide open connection for individual users using home gear. We were trying to restrict the the traffic that they could send on the VPN. And then a lot of it was also starting to look at deploying some of those more end user side services. So um, Umbrella would be one of the big ones or other services like that where we started getting getting those services running really at the end user compute level from, you know, the, the edge of the network really became their their computers. So it was working through some of those those challenges. And that was that was part of it on the the kind of the corporate office side to get back to that side of the questioning. Really, the big push that we've seen has been the the cloud services. So we mentioned Office 365, things like that. Those have been one of the big pushes. So we've we've started looking more at deploying firewalls in those remote offices with that direct Internet service. Prior to that, it was just these DIA circuits are just used for SD-WAN tunnels. So layering in, now I actually have an internet-facing firewall. I have kind of that internet edge that's usable. And then building out a lot of the, the routing policies. And this is where it, it gets complicated because this traffic takes this tunnel and this traffic does the SD-WAN and this traffic goes through the firewall. And then on top of that, we start layering in cloud proxies. And this traffic goes to a cloud proxy through this tunnel, but this stuff gets excluded from that. So it, it really, one of the things that, that SD-WAN, I think, really brought to the fore was really understanding how traffic traverses our network. Prior to SD-WAN, like we could, we could do uh, performance-based routing. Like the, the technology was there, but as SD-WAN came into play and we really started building up our, our application-centric routing, and then as we start moving into this, this sassy idea, we need to have a really strong understanding of where traffic is coming, where it's going, what security processes and procedures need to be in place for it, and really understanding those flows. So it's to an extent, this whole process is, has really started to take more of a, you have to take more of a holistic architectural view to the network, how things flow, how things operate. And it's it's cool. It's, it's a lot of fun to figure this stuff out, but it, it does add a lot of complexity to what we do. And it's great that you bring that up, that, you know, while SASE and SD-WAN have been an enabler for work from home, the approaches there have created downstream complexity that you may or may not have been used to. So um, I was probably remiss uh, in saying this, but like one of the things that Cisco did to approach and offload those things was we went after a pure proxy for well-known and well-used apps. So, you know, internal websites that, you know, 
our executives or our general users wanted to access. So we we built a proxy service based upon the Duo uh, network gateway, but those same kind of proxy functions um, existed for you know you know SASE services. And one of the things that has driven up the complexity on the direct internet access is, oh, is this a direct access that I can use and I don't want it to go through the SASE service because it's going to go through a proxy service or is that for an internal app even, or is this something that is an external app? So we had to build very complicated, uh, you know, DNS exceptions list and uh, direct internet access list just for the security aspect because you didn't want to double inspect traffic. Uh, if it popped out of a proxy, it's going to go through a security stack. So I didn't want to send it across the SD-WAN, get a security stack, hit a proxy, get a security stack again. I just wanted to have it to go through the proxy and, and go through that normal security stack. So that, that, that's an interesting thing that you observe there because it, it mirrors just the same kind of uh, challenge that we had. So let's look a little bit IT at stack. the IT-SecOps view. Uh, we are pretty much interested in what's happening with end-user connectivity, with performance, with routing, and so on. What are Cisco's plan in getting a little bit more transparency into availability monitoring, experience monitoring of the SASE solution? I'll defer to, to Steve about any Thousand Eyes integration for SD-WAN, um, but... That is one of the reasons that we acquired uh, Thousand Eyes is because it gives you that app experience in particular. Um, from a security monitoring capability, you know, we're really trying to use SecureX for some of the, what I'll call, you know, incident response kind of visibility. The base level, you know, operations is still going to be focused at, you know, if it's the managed remote access service that's going to be focused at the cloud consumption model there. If it's our normal um, on-prem FTD clusters or ASA clusters doing the VPN, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, doing things there. However, you will see um, in the future that that notion of monitoring and app experience reporting from Thousand Eyes will be getting pulled into, you know, the base offers because it's rich data T talks about application availability, gives you, you know, failure um, analysis in, you know, oh, DNS didn't resolve or DNS timed out or whatever the pathing might be, you know, changed. And so in the application experience, it went from, you know, 100 milliseconds round trip to 500 milliseconds round trip. We've, we've seen that in those scenarios. So that's going to be a primary focus, especially as we start talking about, you know, evolving network as a service now how it will be integrated directly into sd-wan and sassy you know steve i don't know if you have any comments there well so yeah, I just, yeah oh i just i apologize i wanted to ask because that was actually tying into my next question so i know with application visibility and kind of where we're at can you guys tell us maybe you know what are some like what's coming down the pipeline some future integrations are there other additional apps that'll be be able to be integrated in that platform yeah, definitely. I think that ties into the, the the question was asked previously, and the one uh, the ones we've been talking about for the last uh, fifteen minutes or so. So let me start with 
um, just kind of uh, tailing back on you know the application experience side and the application performance. So there's really three things we're doing in SD-WAN for you know visibility and assurance of applications. One is of course the network monitoring, the probing that we do you know in, inherently to SD-WAN. You guys are aware of that, the BFD probes. So you're there, you're getting delay, loss, jitter. That's the basic parameters you need to decide whether the network is a problem, okay? Then we have, of course, Thousand Eyes. We can embed Thousand Eyes agent alongside the SD-WAN router. We can basically set up and run tests, you know, from any Thousand Eyes agent. We can run to any other. We can use the Thousand Eyes dashboard to basically, you know, create those tests to give us more diagnostic information if there's a problem, right? Um, the other thing that you should be aware of is as well, we're, we're, we've been really trying to tie the application layer into the overall application experience picture. And what does that mean? It means that, hey, it's not always the network guy's fault, right? Sometimes I'm just not in a good place on a bad, I'm on a bad server or I'm in a part of the network behind the SD-WAN router that I can't get visibility to, right? And I'll give you an example where we're trying to tie the application layer in. One is what we did with Microsoft uh, Office 365, right? So we basically get a signal back from the service side that says, hey, you know, your last few sessions from our perspective haven't given good quality of experience to our users. So we get a signal that says kind of up, down on, you know, hey, this was a good quality of experience or not, right? And then we take that, we we take that in addition to the network. And if the network might say it's okay, but if Microsoft says it's not, we will still make a path switch, okay? And and try to get you a better experience. So there's that layer of uh, change as well. The other thing we're looking at for futures is, now, what can we do about server clustering? If we know a little bit about the application topology and where things are, which cloud regions, for example, can we do a little bit more intelligent load balancing across the network to make sure you hit the right cloud region, right servers? So these are the kinds of things I see happening, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the network as well. And then sort of coming back to uh, the, your your question, Gerard, uh, about you know what's going on with the application uh, and application visibility. That's a great question. Um, and if you notice that everything we talked about had some flavor of that, right? It had, hey, I need to, you know, I have to have a policy. It's got to be based on application is essentially the identity, right, of the application. Um, so, th- you know, but, we're, you know, we've, we've, been, we've really been advancing the art there uh, quite a bit. So if you look at, you know, our SDAVC, we're using a whole bunch of, you know, techniques. Now we're, we're relying a lot less on the base DPI and we're doing a lot more crowdsourcing. So, for example, we will use authoritative sources to get application signature information. Another example of this is, you know, again, with Office 365, where we can tie into their APIs and basically get the application signature endpoints that we can then download into our our system and then basically make that available in a database. All of the endpoints that are attached to the, uh, you know, the application visibility service can then, you know, get that that signature information. When I get, when I do detect information, you know, using a network sensor like a router or otherwise, I can share that information back to the cloud. Now, other 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 consume other other devices can consume that information, right? So it's all about getting the application signature in the most reliable and effective and accurate way. Accuracy is super important here, right? I mean, if you're building a policy around application identification, it's not in your application identification getting a bunch of unknown apps, then that's really not going to work very well, right? So, you know, getting better information through authoritative sources, um, endpoint analytics that we can do, as well as not just the application analytics where we can actually then share across domains as well. So it's not just about the network anymore. It's about sharing 
information that we get on the security side. So we have APIs into our security tools because they collect information on uh, applications as well. And we pull that in and then we share our information with the security tools as well. Right. So there's a lot of advancement going on there. And I think what I what you see happening is a trend is what was once a router feature integrated will now become an actual service in the network API driven that the network can take advantage of, that security team can take advantage of, that other applications we haven't even really thought about in the network could take advantage of. So this is, I think, a good trend overall. And Steve, I don't know if you want to mention that, you know, sir, when we talk about authoritative sources, it doesn't have to be public authoritative sources. Um, it can be private app authoritative sources. And this might lead into, you know, some of the the ONA work that you've talked about, Steve, in the past, where, you know, there's a standardization happening about what we call service directory in the cloud providers and basically having a way to query them to understand the characteristics of the application. So we've, you know, announced with a partnership with, with Google and GCP to deliver what we call contextual access. And that's context, not only like the traditional context that I set the stage with about ICE and who you are, what you're operating on, what's your posture, but it's also the context of the application itself. Um, and that's that context is typically derived from this service directory so that we can make a decision not only on the context of the user accessing the app, but also the app itself and describe parameters of, of its behavior. So that's evolution that, that we've announced in a public forum um, that we'll be delivering. And then the other thing, back to visibility, you know, we've we've already seen those integrations and that probing um, paying off. So I, I recently worked with a, a large customer who, you know, if you're big enough, uh, you know, you you can see multiple changes happen in the network or the network stack happen over a weekend. And there were some complaints about application performance. And we were able to use the information from SD-WAN and Thousand Eyes to basically isolate it to a brand new uh, virtual appliance that was put into a cloud service. And there was this one characteristics of the appliance and the way it handled um, large amounts of flows that created a lot of jitter. And we could use the, you know, the probes that are generated by Thousand Eyes to say, oh, the jitter is fine when I go from you know A to B, A to C, A to D. But as soon as I go A to E, which is behind this appliance, the jitter gets very um, different, not just on a single probe, but on multiple probes at the same time. So we could actually see the 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 jitter in the communication happen in real time, and we could say, "There's the problem." Um, very simple fix for that virtual appliance. Um, it was a known issue and they upgraded it and they resolved the issue very quickly. But if we didn't have that visibility in the pathway and the ability to measure in a relatively sophisticated app layer, um, you, you never would have found that or it would have taken a much longer time to do the analysis. And we resolved the issue in about two hours um, after initial escalation. And, you know, that was great. That was my first experience really using the tools in depth and the, the power was uh, very rewarding in, in both the customer sat issues, but also, you know, getting through the, the issue for the business. Fair. Sure. Uh, so one of the things just to, to kind of jump back, we talked a little bit about some of the the stuff that was coming as far as the, the application visibility and really being able to to adjust. And I 
had had the the honor of having some conversations with JP around some of the the predictive internet and what's coming there. Uh, really cool stuff. Like it's, there's not a lot these days that really makes me geek out, and that that stuff is that stuff's cool. So can you can you kind of talk to some of the stuff that might be coming in the predictive inter, inter, uh, predictive internet space and how that might affect kind of the SD WAN and SASE world? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know stuff that JP's working on. We call it Alto. Uh, here and uh, and and I think it, it, to me it's going to kind of be the future, right? Um, for sure. So what I see it, you know, from an SD WAN perspective is, look, SD WAN is very reactive in the sense that it's measuring real time data and it's making a decision at the time, right? So it's reacting to changes. So it can do that in a more granular way, right? What, whereas what JP is doing is more predictive, looking at big data trends by using the SD-WAN devices as sensors to compile that data and then basically running uh, ML and AI across that data set and deciding, hey, guess what? At this time of day, at this time you know, of the week, generally speaking, your, your traffic for this application is better on this network, right? So what I see is that that is a modifier of what we call an SD-WAN, the preferred path, right? A path that policy says, hey, if I'm if if, not, if everything else is equal, I want to be on this path, right? Well, I can see Alto coming in and basically saying, hey, your preferred path should be altered for this period of time, right? And then basically the idea is we'll switch over at that period of time, we'll avoid the problem. And you can see in JC in the in in the analysis that JP's done, just how many kind of you know uh, SLA you know. Uh, SLA error minutes is as, as it were that you can avoid and how much cost you can avoid. So I, I definitely see that as something uh, that will be coming in the future. The network is essentially adapting to that kind of thing. I see a more adaptive network that way. Yeah. And, and, you know, this has applicability, not only in the traditional network, you know, sensor, you know, inform, you know, collection, but also, you know, as work from home, you know, you, you need to have the, the ability to, collect data and adjust user experience even dynamically at an, a managed endpoint like sitting on a you know windows device or a mac device you're vpn'd in or you have some expectation of application service we may be bypassing the vpn but if we can build out the control plane we we in some instances have found that going you know outside of the vpn tunnel will actually you know, and then through a web proxy actually decreases your app, your, your application experience. You, you find it to be less, you know, you know, less of a good application experience. So we actually will pivot you into the tunnel. And so you can only do that if you have good data about those remote users, because, you know, MI, AI and ML need known outcomes. What's the outcome you want? And then you must have good data to put into the machine learning or the AI to get that outcome. And so what if the outcome you want is a better remote access user experience, then you need to be, you know, understanding what that means from the measurements and then collect that data at the source of the remote access user. And, you know, we think that's a, a very large strategic advantage in the predictive internet is that we can get that data good data, because if you have bad data into a machine learning algorithm, it's going to give you a bad result out. If we have good data that we can put into Alto, we're going to get good results out. And so we think we're really well positioned to, to do that for, you know, the predictive internet, as it were. 
All right. Nicely done, gents. This has been another phenomenal episode of Cisco Champion Radio. If you want to learn more about what we discussed today, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.